This morning, we are going to start a brand new series on wasted potential, and the character we're going to really focus in on is King Saul. Now, did you know that there are more than 211,000 murders since 1980 that remain unsolved? Isn't that crazy? That's the body count around the size of the population of Richmond, Virginia, where people do not know who killed these people. Well, there's also an unsolved murder that remains unsolved in the Bible, and it's the classic whodunit, right? And today we're going to investigate that cold case. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 1 to start off with, but you're going to see it's a, a grisly scene. The body is identified as King Saul, the king of Israel. He has several puncture wounds to his chest from arrows shot at a distance, and he also has a sword sticking out of his abdomen, which appears to be the murder weapon. Now, bear with me here in the beginning. We're going to really dive into some facts as we examine this. And in first, or 2 Samuel excuse me, chapter 1, verse 1, we're going to look at our first suspect. It says, after the death of Saul... When David had returned from striking down the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag. Now, this is David, the David of Goliath, after that, but before Bathsheba. It says, on the third day, behold, a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. And when he came to David, he fell to the ground and paid homage. And David said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, how did it go? Tell me. And he answered, the people fled from battle. And also many of the people have fallen and are dead. And Saul and his son, Jonathan, are also dead. And then David said to the young man who told him, how do you know that Saul and his son, Jonathan, are dead? And the young man who told him said, by chance, I happened to be on Mount Gilboa. And there was Saul leaning on his spear and behold, the chariots and the horsemen were closing on upon him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me, and he called to me, and he answered. And I said, here am I. And he said to me, who are you? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me, stand beside me and kill me, for anguish has seized me, and yet my life still lingers. So I stood beside him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that was on his arm, and I brought them here to my Lord. Well, that was easy, right? It says right here who killed him, and this Amalekite guy just confessed to the whole thing. He said that Paul asked him to kill him so that the Philistines that he was fighting couldn't have the, uh, the pleasure of defeating him. All right, let's look at our next witness in 2 Samuel chapter 21 and verse 12. The verses will be right here. It says, David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of his son, Jonathan, from the men at Jabesh Gilead, who had stolen them from the public square, Bashan, where the Philistines had hanged him up. Now look at this. It says, on the day the Philistines killed Saul on Gilboa. Okay. Now it's getting a little confusing, right? This passage says the Philistines killed King Saul. The last passage said that this Amalekite man did. So now we have two suspects, 1 Samuel chapter 31, or 2 Samuel, excuse me, I think. Yeah, it's 2 Samuel, so that up on the screen won't be right. 
Let me read it to you, though. It says, Then Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Now look at this. It says, Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. All right, I know that was a lot of information, but we've got a problem here. See, this passage here says that Saul killed himself. So who really did it? The Amalekite, the Philistines, or did Saul commit suicide? What's going on here? Is this a contradiction in the Bible? Why don't these facts harmonize? Well, there are three ways to read the Bible. You can read it as a skeptic. Every time you come across a question like this in the Bible, you say, ha, see, this is just some old book. It's not the word of God. These are the same type of people who say things like, well, if you believe that the Bible says homosexuality is not God's plan, then you also have to believe that eating shrimp and pork is a sin because the Bible says that too. See, the skeptic doesn't want the truth enough to look deeper into it to see that God gave Old Testament Jews a ceremonial and a cultural law that we as Gentile New Testament uh, Christians do not live by, like eating pork. How many of y'all are happy that that's not something we have to live by, amen? Come on. That's good preaching right there. But see, God's moral law applies to all of us, and it never changes. Lying, murder, adultery, those things do not change. So we can look at this cold case as a skeptic and say, see, the Bible cannot be trusted. Or we can look at it as a doubter. When the doubter uh, sees anything they don't understand about the Bible, it scares them. And it makes them doubt God. And your doubts scare you so much that you do not want to search for the truth because you are afraid to know what you will find. Lastly, there's the truth seeker. This is the last way you can read the Bible. You can read it as a skeptic and say, aha, I found a a problem. You can read it as a doubter and just say, I don't even want to look at this. You read it as a truth seeker that says, uh, I'm going to push past the confusion to find the truth in the Bible. They don't stop until they know the truth, just like the Bereans we mentioned a few weeks ago. See, there's a freedom in pushing towards the truth, and the Bible says the truth will make us free. See, the skeptic is bound by their criticism of everything, and they're adamant about what they don't believe, but rarely do they know what they do believe. The doubter is bound by fear, and they're afraid to bring their questions to God, fearing that they will provoke God to anger, but God is not scared of your questions, and you shouldn't be either. So hopefully, as truth seekers, we're able to get the real facts here of Saul's death. And really, when we look at it, it's not that confusing uh, as it seems at first. See, Paul did die in the battle with the Philistines. Just like a soldier that takes their life in Iraq when it becomes obvious that they're going to be tortured, we wouldn't say that they committed suicide. We would say that that soldier died in combat. They died in the war in Iraq. Now, the Amalekite has ulterior motives to falsely confess to the murder of the king Saul. It says in 2 Samuel 4.10, David speaking, it says, 
when he told me, saying, Behold, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought me good tidings, I took hold of him and slew him in Ziklag, who thought that I would have given him a reward for his tidings. See, he thought David would be so happy that King Saul was dead because King Saul hated David, and David was next in line for the throne. See, he thought David was going to give him a reward, but instead he got put to death. The Amalekite had ulterior motives to tell the story the way he did. So we see it wasn't the Philistines necessarily, although he died in the war with the Philistines. It wasn't the Amalekite. The real culprit in the murder of Saul was the king himself. He fell on his sword to save himself from the shame of being killed by the Philistines. See, the Bible schools the skeptic and disproves the doubter. And there are literal web pages of this kind of stuff that people put out there and say, hey, see, here's some verses. Let me throw them out here. Don't look any further into them. But these verses contradict each other. And this is a reason why you shouldn't trust God and you shouldn't trust the Bible. But the truth seeker pushes past the skeptic and past the doubter to the truth. Now let's look at one last piece of evidence, and it's 1 Chronicles 10, 13. It says, so Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord and that he did not keep the command of the Lord. And he also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord, and therefore the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. See, in reality, the Philistines and even Saul didn't have much to do with his death. Saul's death was the consequences of his own pride, arrogance, and sin. But how did Saul get to his, this place in his life? See, what we haven't talked about is that Saul was once an average young man. He wasn't born a king. He actually just worked for his father doing simple chores like taking care of donkeys. But for whatever reason, God chose Saul to be the king of Israel, the first king. In 1 Samuel 9, 17, God tells Samuel, uh, the prophet, about Saul. And he tells him, here's a man that will reign over my people. He was just an average man. But although he was average, he did have great potential. In 1 Samuel 9, 2, Kish was his father. It says, Kish had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than all the people. See, Saul was tall and he was handsome and he was athletic, much like myself. <laughs> there was a lot to like about Saul. He had great potential. And this is the start of a new series on Saul and David, Wasted Potential and Fulfilled Potential. And we're going to put David and Saul side by side. We're going to go back and look at where Saul started and how he got to this point in his life. So I invite you to be with us the next three weeks. But how did Saul get from being chosen to be king by God to committing suicide? He had great victories for God, but he also had deep valleys of sin as well, even to the point where he went to a seance to try and talk to someone that was dead. But how did someone with such great potential and natural abilities get to a point where he died as a consequence of his own colossal failure? See, Saul found himself doing things he never thought he would do. 
So how do we avoid wasting all that potential? How do we avoid finding ourselves doing things that we always said we would never do? Well, the clue is in that verse we just read in 1 Chronicles 10, 13. It says, Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord. And he also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Saul did not keep God's word. He didn't listen to it. He didn't treasure it. He, uh, when he, and he, he looked for answers and counsel from other places and other people than God. See, the truth is, Saul took his own life into his feeble hands, and he didn't rely on God, and he thought he could fix his problems on his own. In this life, you're going to have many opportunities and many chances to make bad decisions. Where are you going to go for counsel, for answers? Who are you going to ask what you should do? In and of ourselves, we're bound to make terrible choices. And the only way that we can avoid that is allowing Jesus Christ to rule and reign in our lives. The only way to reach our potential is if Christ, Christ does it through us. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the only true and righteous king is Jesus. He gave his life to die for you because he loved you, and the only honorable thing to do is to give your life back to him. Every thought, every decision, every life choice, allowing Christ to permeate every area of your life. Maybe today you're a skeptic. Maybe you're a doubter. I encourage you to start on the path of becoming a truth seeker. I dare you to ask God to help you find the truth, even if you're not sure there is a God. I've talked to many skeptics before, and rarely has there ever been someone that actually didn't believe in God because of God. Many times who they are and where they're at say, well, my uncle was a Christian, and he was a terrible person, so I'm not going to be a Christian. Well, my friend growing up was this, or the pastor did this, or my mom did this. And they have all these reasons as to why uh, people that they held up as Christians uh, disproved Christianity. But you wouldn't go and uh, take a bad actor that you, know, you get on this, uh, see a stage and you watch a play and there's a terrible actor that just can't remember his lines and all of a sudden you say all, bad actor, or all actors are bad actors. And so therefore the profession of acting it doesn't make any sense. You shouldn't even bother with it. No, you say that is a bad actor. Or perhaps they shouldn't be an actor at all. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're a fake. And that's what you should do with Christians. They're either not living after what God's word says or maybe they're not even Christians at all. The only true and righteous king is Jesus. And if you're a, a skeptic or a doubter, I dare you to start looking and searching and pushing for the truth. And it might not happen today. It might not happen in the, the next few weeks. But God will honor a heart that seeks after him. 
There is so much amazing potential in this room. Let me warn you and let me warn myself not to be like Saul. Don't take your life into your own hands. It will only end in tragedy. And some of us know that personally, in personal experience. We've done that and taken our lives into our own hands for long periods of time. And we've seen the consequence of doing what we thought was okay or what we thought our heart desired and we followed our feelings. But see, the problem is, is our heart is a liar. Jeremiah 17, 8 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Your heart wants to tell you lies. It's deceitful. It's sick. See, God is the only one that knows the right way for us. And that's a problem because God says in Isaiah 55, 8, that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And his ways are higher than our ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. See, not only is your heart working against you when you're trying to find the right way to go, but you also don't have all that you need to figure it out. See, God is the other part of the puzzle. God wants to fill in all of your blanks. But see, Saul filled in his own blanks, and it led to tragedy. Don't be like Saul. Seek God's faith early and often. Proverbs 18, 17 promises us that I love those who love me, and those that seek me diligently will find me. That's something you can claim. If I'll seek God diligently and keep pressing, we'll have a relationship and we'll find that love that we need. So you can't do this life on your own. You can't parent on your own. You can't be the wife you need to be on your own. You can't keep integrity in the workplace on your own. You can't overcome your hurts, habits, and hang-ups on your own. You need God to fill in all of those blanks. So lean on him. Seek his face. He's the only one that can help you be who you were meant and created to be, to truly reach the potential that he has for you, to be the person that he made you to be. With every head's bowed and eyes closed. There's so much great potential in this room today. We could change the world with just this group of people. Not in our own power, but when we give up power and we surrender and allow God to order our life. We're going to see as these next few weeks go on a little bit more how Saul took his life into his own hands and he thought he was worthy to do things that he actually wasn't. He didn't start off that way. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't prideful, but he, that's where he ended up. And without God's help, that's where we're going to end up too. We've got to have an open hand and allow God to have whatever he wants. It's not common in our society today 
to look fondly on surrender, to quit, give up. But that's exactly what God asks of us. He asks us to surrender our will to his will. He asks us to let go of our life and let him hold us. There are stories of lifeguards that have had to actually knock out the people they're trying to save so that they could save them. They would fight and they would kick and the panic would set in and they would end up almost drowning the lifeguard and the person that needed to be saved. Don't kick. Don't push. Let God carry you. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live through faith in Christ Jesus. That's what we need to be able to say. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. Very heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Altars open if you'd like to come and to say, I surrender. Maybe you've got something else in your life that is a burden, something that's hurting, or you just want to stay in your seat and pray. That's amazing as well. God could do some amazing things. There's so much great potential in this room if we would allow Christ to work through us. You take some time. Dwell on those thoughts.